0: Welcome to the At The Castle Bible Teaching Podcast. Our goal is to dive deep into the Word of God and uncover its timeless truths and teachings. At The Castle, we believe that the Bible is the inspired and infallible Word of God, and we seek to understand and apply it to our lives. During ATC Winter Weekend 2022, we were joined by Andrew Sack, who helped us to explore the Gospel of Mark. For more information about At The Castle, please check out our website, www.atthecastle.org.uk or find us via our social media We hope that through this podcast you'll grow in your knowledge and love of God's word and be equipped to live out your faith more fully
1: Please keep that um, open in front of you Mark chapter 4 verse 35 We're actually going to take the section all the way to almost the end of chapter 5 In fact to the end of chapter 5 There we are So 435 to 543 And today. As we begin, does anyone know the artist? Rembrandt, yeah, very good. Um, I don't know what you think about religious art. Um, It can be helpful, people meditating on stories in the Bible. It can also make it look a little bit make-believe. I don't know whether you see an oil painting and that's a sort of fantasy world and then you think of history and that's the real world and Sometimes I struggle with religious art because it might put the real world into the fantasy world for me. But as an artist's impression of what it might have looked like, um, it's not a bad one. Here is a, a ship at a scary kind of angle. Here are the, the paintings, amazing, isn't it? And then here are the people holding on. This guy's got his, a sheet wrapped around the mast just so that he can tether himself from being thrown overboard. And this guy's doing all the work. I don't know which disciple is which, but actually trying to keep this, get the sail in. This guy's clinging on from dear life, holding on, holding on, holding on, sleeping. I was just waking up. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I think I love that. They got that detail right there. Jesus is so calm. And then they are looking at Jesus going, teacher, don't you care? Like, how are you sleeping? Do you not care if we drown? You can see their look of, what are you playing at, Jesus? And he looks at them going, oh, I was tired. And this look of upstairs. So it's nice, as artistic impression go, as long as we don't think it's a fantasy event. On the 6th of March, 1987, the roll-on, roll-off passenger and freight ferry Herald of P-Enterprise under the command of Captain David Lurie, sailed from number 12 berth in the inner harbour at Zeebrugge at 1805 GMT. The Herald was manned by a crew of 80 hands, all told, and was laden with 81 cars, 47 freight vehicles and three other vehicles. Approximately 459 passengers had embarked for the voyage to Dover, which they expected to be completed without incident in the prevailing good weather. There was a light easterly breeze and very little sea or swell. The Herald passed the outer mole at 1824. She capsized four minutes later. Water rapidly filled the ship below the surface level with the result that not less than 150 passengers and 38 members of the crew lost their lives. That was an excerpt from the formal court report which I found online uh, at the inquest. I was 11 years old at the time. I remember it being all over the news. The worst peacetime maritime disaster since the sinking of the Titanic. Uh, it's in my lifetime it really happened. It wasn't even the storm, it's just someone had left the gates open where the cars are meant to um, enter the boat and, <coughs> and it filled with water and sank. And I wonder whether that's a more helpful image as we read the Hidden of psalm, even the remembrance because you look at the painting and it's kind of, it's kind of Bible story. Whereas I read about 1987 and it's kind of eyewitness history. And I want us to read Mark chapter four with the eyewitness eyewitness history lens. Um, People really in danger of really actually dying at sea because of this terrible storm. And storms do come up pretty quickly in Israel. I know we tend to sort of assume that all weather is like the weather in our in our country. And I don't know how violent storms get in Northern Ireland or how quickly they get violent. But I've travelled to the Middle East a few times. And I was once actually in the, the Dead Sea. So not the Sea of Galilee up north, but the Dead Sea down south. And um, if you've ever been there, if you know about it, then basically it's given over largely to the cosmetic industry because some marketing genius has worked out that The black mud from the edge of the bank is meant to be really good for your skin. So they basically just harvest this and put it in, sell it for extraordinary amounts of money. It's like never has mud been so expensive as if it's in the Dead Sea. And so, you know, people go there and some people do the floating in the sea, taking a selfie, which I did. And other people try and get as much of the mud on themselves as they can because it's a lot cheaper than buying it in the shop at the airport. And, And we were there doing this. And then suddenly this terrifying storm came just out of nowhere and it whipped up, and they were by the side of the Dead Sea because it's very hot. There were all of these parasols or sort of umbrellas to, to shelter under from the sun, and they got whipped up into the air, and then they started falling like basically like javelins, you know, these spiky umbrellas. And everyone were running, screaming, running for cover. And I remember it vividly, and I thought, well, yes, you you can get in the Middle East this kind of extreme sudden weather, and these guys are on a boat when it happens, and they're fishermen, but they still think it's very serious, and they would know. Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus gets up and goes, quiet, be still. And and it is. And then they're very astonished. Um, It's interesting, isn't it? The word, the verb in verse 39, he rebuked. Uh, the word for rebuke, it means to tell someone off. You naughty storm, says Jesus. Stop that. And it does. It's just amazing, isn't it? Just to use such a sort of everyday word. He told the storm off. And it was very sorry for having misbehaved. <laughs> um, if you just read it as a Bible story, as a parable, it doesn't have the same force as if it's history and it's very important i think when we read the bible that we don't bypass the history stage in our rush to think of the moral lesson so you know you could um, read this and then teach it in a what are the storms in your life that jesus wants to calm and that the problem with that kind of application is i've sort of psychologized it into a principle but it's no longer an event you know, there was an actual storm which Jesus actually calmed by speaking. And it's a bit like the Capernaum thing. It's not just a metaphor for other spiritual problems we might have. It's an event that then sets the precedent that tells me who Jesus is and what power he's got. So we've got to be careful before we sort of generalise this. This is not an everyday, in the troubled waters of your life, Jesus will bring the, the calmness that you need kind of thing. That's a bit soppy, isn't it? This is the, one of the most extraordinary things that's ever happened to eyewitnesses. So he, think 1987 Herald of Re-Enterprise history before you think Rembrandt picture. Although he's done quite a good job, I think, as artists go. So um, we're going to look at quite a long section. I know you can't read it, it's too small, but I'm going to zoom in like we did before. So here is the whole section. I'm going to read the rest of it quite quickly. And I want you to turn to your neighbour and decide... What have all of these episodes got in common? Because you know, we've seen before that often the way Mark is making a point is not just by an individual episode, but by what he's grouping together as a as a section of episodes. And as we compare that, I think there's four different events happen, one after the other, we're gonna see that they're actually they're linked in certain ways and Mark actually underlines the connection in the way that he narrates it so that we spot the connection. Okay, I'm gonna read it. So even as I'm reading it, look for the connection. And then we'll turn to our neighbour and see if we can discuss what we saw. I'm going to read The Storm again because it's one of them and then we'll keep reading. And also we like reading things more than once, don't we? On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing?' And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, "'Peace, be still.' And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, "'Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith?' And they were filled with great fear and said to each other, Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. He'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus didn't permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. And when Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Who who, out of interest here has got kids? Yeah, I mean, just, just a couple of us so far. I think for those of you with children, this just must be the most terrifying thing, wasn't it? imaginable and I guess others of us in the room will be able to imagine it better at some point in our lives. My little daughter is at the point of death she is very seriously ill Jesus please come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live and he went with him and so you've got to think at this point this is a blue light emergency a sort of 999 with the sirens and they clear the streets and Jesus rushing to this girl who is very ill And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman there who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who'd suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She'd heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus... On the 999 call, parked the ambulance, got out, and begin to conduct extended questioning to find out who touched him. He touched me, he touched my garments. And Jairus is there, biting his nails, saying, come on, Jesus, we can't hang about and do this. Can you imagine the, the agony of this long, someone touched me, and they're like, there's a crowd of people, you ask "He touched you? Come on, Jesus. His disciples said, You see the crowd around me? You say he touched you? He looked round to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler's house. He said, It's too late now. He took so long about it. Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher more? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he'd entered, he said to them, Why are you making such a fuss and crying so much? The child's not dead. She's just asleep. And they laughed at him. I take it not a laugh of amusement. A laugh of contempt. Scoffing. Jesus, she is dead. How could you be so crass? (laughs) They scoff at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up, she began to walking, she was 12 years old, and they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. So I love reading this, by the way, I'm glad I didn't have to give the reading to somebody else, thank you for letting me do it, because it's just so amazing, these episodes. But um, the question is, what have they got in common? So turn to your neighbour, Um, What unites these four episodes? Okay, um, what do we have in common? Any suggestions? I've just coloured in the different passages, that's all I've done while you've been doing that, just to keep myself amused. I've also, for some reason, stupidly um, missed that part of the text, but this is the first, the pink bit at the top is the first bit of the gyro story, and then the ambulance stops, and there's the orange bit, and then the peach bit, and then the... Jairus story continues so I've just missed for some reason I've missed out these verses up here, which is Jairus coming saying my little daughter's very ill, but you know that they're there. Okay, so um, what's the same in all four episodes? People come to Jesus for help. Yeah, that's true. Four situations where people need help from Jesus. Yes, very good spot. In every single episode, there is a mention of fear. Um, Should we just find those? I've got my little Edvard (laughs) Munch counter, so let's just place those on the board. Where are they afraid? 4 verse 40 why are you so afraid? There's one. And verse 40, they're even more afraid, they're filled with a great fear in verse 41. Yeah, where else? Um, 515. 515. They came to Jesus, they saw the man who had the demons now not is now fine and they are afraid. I think my iPad may, be, may not be able to cope with this many Edward Minch uh-huh. pictures flying around. But yeah, good. And then... Would he not have a level of fear? Like he's not a happy guy. You know? Well, that's probably true. But what we're trying to do is let Mark make his point. So I think... I, I might imagine he'd be scared, but Mark hasn't stopped to tell me he's scared. So the times that Mark has said it um, are the villagers' reaction <coughs> to him. Yeah. Um, where else has Mark... Mentioned fear. We, we're doing well. We've got two more left, I think. Verse 33. Of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 33. She comes in fear and trembling. And then there's one more. 36. Don't be afraid, just believe, he says to Jesus. 36. Very. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Fear in every everyone. Um, that's quite interesting, isn't it? I mean, it, Mark has gone out of his way to mention this. Uh, one, two, three, four, five times. Yeah, great. Okay, um, we'll come back to that later if we may. Any other sort of low-hanging fruit? People come to Jesus for help. In what kind of situation? Desperate situation. Desperate is a good adjective. Yeah. Anyone want to flesh it out a bit more? I mean, it's in each situation it's desperate. Okay, so in every situation, humans have reached the limit of what they can do, and then they're still in trouble. Yeah, let's just go through that. So in the storm, well, I mean the fishermen are at their, at their last wits. We're we're perishing, they say, yeah. With the man with the tombs, the man with the demons, how do we see that? Yeah, and the, particularly the angle of human solutions exhausted, No one, and Mark makes a big thing of that, doesn't he? No one could bind him anymore, not even with his chain. He'd often been bound with shackles and chains. He wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Mark really doesn't want you to miss this, because he says it here. No one could bind him. And he says it again here. No one had the strength to subdue him. Emphasized, out of control. Yeah. Beyond human control. Um... What about the, uh, the, with the woman? 26. She'd suffered under many physicians. She spent all she had. She was no better, she only grew worse. It's so, it's so sad, isn't it? Not only is this woman desperately ill, but there's people who are happy to take her money for their quack medical solutions, which actually leave her in a worse state. It's just, it's, it's just a tragic thing. 12, 12 years of bleeding, can you imagine? And the doctors, and he, the mind boggles to think of what their, me, what their medical procedures might have been, but they do no good at all. And then finally, she's dead, yeah, it's too late. And there's nothing that humans can do now. I've lost two of my fear counters, that's annoying. But anyway, we know where they are. I'm not gonna try and put them back, it'll take too long. Um, desperate situation times four so no one else can help now Jesus it's over to you yeah Um, man with superhuman strength that's why I said by the way earlier this is not misdiagnosed schizophrenia you know people are very superior about um, the, the gospels they say oh bless them they didn't understand modern mental health theory It's like yeah schizophrenics do not are not able to tear open iron bars um, and they don't kill whole herds of pigs when they get better. I mean you know, there's just there's, there's clear supernatural elements to this so before we dismissively think we know so much better than Mark, we should take his spiritual diagnosis seriously I think um, yeah uh, and then so four times humans that can't cope, Anything else that unites the, the problem in each case? I think there's one other thing. Why can humans not cope? What kind of issue is it in each case? What unites the problem in each case? Is there a sense in terms of internal torment? So the disciples are tormented with the storm, the man is tormented with the spread, Jarvis is tormented because death of the storm, I'm sure that sounds very plausible, I mean, they're, they're horrific situations. What we're particularly going for is if we can find something that Mark himself has chosen to say that he needn't have said, the way that he's, he's putting it, that, um, that emphasises it. Um, well, let me ask you about the, um, the man with the demons. What about the geography does Mark say three times? which is not really necessary, once would be enough. Where is this man? He is amongst the tombs. he's in a graveyard. Why, why are you telling us that? Well, because he is a man under the shadow of death, actually. It's a demon issue, but it's also a, a death issue. How do we know that the demons wanna kill this man? Okay, so he's cutting himself with um all the time, and something very dramatic happens that tells you what the demons intended, yeah, they drown the pigs, they kill the pigs um, this so evil is a is a deathly thing Satan is a murderer, as Jesus says in John eight and in the storm it's not just oh, help, it's a bit choppy. It's we're perishing, we're dying. So at the storm, they're going to die. And the man with the demons is going to die. And the woman with the hemorrhage, you can only imagine. I mean, her health is worsening over 12 years. She's going to die. And then the girl is dead. So it's, and I think that's, that's the unifying thing. The reason that humans are absolutely beyond able to hope, cope is because death is the one thing for which we have no answers at all. Like, e- even now, we're so complacent, aren't we, medically now? But even now, you can't do anything about death. You know, the, the brain tumour. A um, friend in our congregation, his father's just been diagnosed. Um, another friend in another church in London just died, just younger than me. Now, e- even that we can't do now. Um, Covid, there was that moment, wasn't it? there? That was little window where you thought, will this... Bring us to our knees as an arrogant self-sufficient culture will people start to pray you thought for a moment they just might do and then it's like oh no we've got vaccines we trust the medics instead but there is the point when you get to the end and and you're in a situation where you might die that probably most people pray don't they has anyone ever been in a situation in the sea where you are out of reach and out of control it's very very frightening i've had it once and you think, this, you suddenly realize this could go very badly wrong, and you pray. If you glimpse evil in its fullest extent, I was um, at London Bridge Station in London five minutes after the attack, say, the the terror attack, and I came out of the tube, it was before they closed it down, and I just thought, something is wrong, and I didn't know, and there wasn't any news at that stage, it was just afterwards, and I just thought, this is not right. And it was a chilling sense. It was silence and there were people who were sort of running and it's very, very frightening. When you see I'm at sea and I might drown, there's evil here and it's just bigger than I know what to do with and I don't quite understand it. Or I'm very ill or your daughter is dead. Beyond human control. That unites all four of these. And there's such detail here. Mark often is quite fast with his covering miracles but here he really slows down I think so that we realize you we kind of resonate with this yeah those situations where things are terrifyingly beyond you because death is beyond you yeah so times four and then obviously the other thing that's kind of maybe too obvious to say is that Jesus fixes it every time but if you had to choose an adverb to say how Jesus fixes it what would you choose describe describe Jesus solutions. Immediately. immediately. I mean, that's Mark's favourite adverb. I don't know, it's on like 15, 16 times he said things happen immediately. Easily. Easily. Yeah, That do you get that sense? So even though the desperation of the, of the situation is emphasised, the, the really this wasn't very difficult for Jesus to do. is always <laughs> emphasised. Let's just go through it. How do we, how do we find out that Jesus he finds it quite easy with the storm? Yeah, it's like, and there's craziness going on. And they wake him up. And he, oh, so the storm, yeah, you naughty storm, stop it at once. And then it calms, and he goes, guys, what were you so scared about? This is, it's not like he just goes, wow, well, that was close. It's just like, it's easy. Um, how about the biggest battle between good and evil, um, maybe so far in the Bible? You know, 2,000 evil spirits versus Jesus. How does it go down? You can imagine the horror movie version of this. Jesus gives them permission. That is the verb. Yeah, okay, if you want, you can do the pigs. It's all over. I mean, this this would not be a good horror movie, would it? It's just too easy. He lets them. And I know the vegans are all upset because of the poor pigs. Um, But... And you know, pigs are valuable and we're to steward pork, but um, of course in a Jewish mindset, pigs are unclean animals and this is a human being. And even if you know, you've got animal welfare sensibilities, you, sh- you mustn't elevate them over a human life. The amazing thing here is that the pigs die, the man is spared and that is <laughs> um, on any understanding of the importance of animals, this is a, a wonderful thing. And then with the woman with the hemorrhage, I mean, it's just, she touches his garment. That's all it takes. And then with the girl who's died, she's asleep, says Jesus. Jesus, she is not asleep. Yeah, she is. Yeah, I'm going to go and wake her up. This is actually a very, very significant episode for the whole of Christian theology this moment. Because after this... Death gets talked about as being asleep. I think one Corinthians fourteen or one Thessalonians four, and those. Who, um, in the catacombs in Rome, I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's there's some caves underneath Rome where they used as a burial ground. So, for many many centuries, so you they they were burying people in the catacombs in the caves under Rome long before Christianity arrived in Rome, and then long after. And by looking at the different stages, you can see when Christian, Christians arrived and how they buried their dead differently. So you get inscriptions on the, on the tombs, and they say things like, Here lies Gaius, snatched from me, torn from me, O cruel death, and things like that. You know, people are bitter. The death has taken away my loved one. And then the Christians arrive in Rome, and then you get tombs like, Here lies beloved Erastus, sleeping in the Lord. And you, you probably know that the word cemetery um, is the, the Latin for dormitory. It's the sleeping place. That's what a Christian graveyard is. And all because of what Jesus does when he hears a little girl say, No, no, she's just, she's just asleep. I'll just wake her up. Little girl, get up. And she gets up and then Jesus goes, she's probably hungry, give her some breakfast. <laughs> and he gets a bowl of Cheerios or whatever it is. So desperate situation. Jesus, easy solution. Now, what is Mark trying to persuade us of? He's not. He's not saying every time a child dies, Jesus will resurrect that child. Is he? Yeah, he is saying that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He went to say resurrect the child now, because this is the Capernaum glimpse the advanced preview but he will resurrect that child later so I, I, I thought I'd give this illustration if I get away with it but I'm actually going to find it quite emotional a, a very good friend of mine a um, couple, couple of friends of mine who live in Connecticut in New York um, lost their daughter uh, early this year in um, July he was eight years old and she was fine and then She had bruising, which was unexplained, and they didn't know what it was, and they took her to the doctor, and it turned out to be leukaemia. And she was in hospital, rushed into hospital, and then two weeks later she died. So from being healthy to being dead, two weeks, just a horrific thing. And mum and dad are Christians, um, and still Christians, very much clinging to the Lord. And they had this passage at her funeral. And it's a very poignant thing to hear those words, little girl, get up. And mum and dad believe and they told the people at the funeral that yeah, he hasn't done this for Isabel yet, but this is what he will do on the last day. It makes a difference, doesn't it, to know that Jesus has this kind of power in the face of the one thing that is beyond every human solution. Little girl, get up. And it's, it's interesting that Mark gives it to us in Aramaic. He doesn't normally. He writes in Greek, which is the the common written language of the time, because after the Alexander the Great's empire took over much of the, the known worlds, it's the language that everyone could read, so they wrote it in, in Greek, but spoke Aramaic. And Mark just chooses to give you the actual sounds that Jesus made with his lips. I suppose just to capture the moment, he said to, to Letha cumai, little girl, get up now. Well, what a hope that gives to a grieving parent a, he's a Christian to know this future so for situations beyond human control, situations of death which Jesus solves immediately easily that's uh, an amazing thing um, not an amazing thing if you just go what are the storms in your life you don't psychologize it what are the little resurrections in your life, no no There's the first century one that's the sign of the final day one. Those are the two reference points for this. The time that Jesus did it as the preview, and then the time Jesus does it for good on the last day. And then you notice this thing about fear. They're afraid. And it's in every episode. And I I want us to think a bit more about this. So I've got these here are the four episodes, the storm, the pigs, the woman and the girl. And... um, If you just take the storm, let me put these counters on if I can move them again. If you just take the storm and the um, girl, Jesus says basically the same thing. He tells people off for being afraid and he says, you should have believed. Well, telling off is a bit harsh. Maybe he encourages people not to be afraid and encourages them to believe i think with the disciples they do get a bit told off actually don't they why are you so afraid have you no faith it's a bit of a telling off but i think with gyrus it's much tenderer than that it's a don't be afraid just believe but in both cases then you see it's a, it's a fear or faith you know if only you believed you wouldn't have to be as scared as that don't fear but believe says jesus uh, if you trust me, you don't have to be scared of death. But it's actually a little bit more complex than that. And I think the key thing is to work out whether people are afraid before the miracle or after the miracle. So, um, in the case of the storm, they're afraid before the miracle. I mean, Jesus talks about it afterwards, but he's commenting on the situation just before. Why why were you so afraid, guys? You know, when the storm was was um, filling the boat what were you scared of did you not believe and with Jairus before Jesus um, heals her he says to the dad Look, don't worry don't be afraid just trust me so fear and faith are alternatives if they're before but actually in a few cases the fear comes after the miracle can anyone tell me where that is when are they afraid after? There, there are your options, there are the fear counters on the screen. Which fears are after? For, uh, the pigs, they're afraid afterwards, yeah. The woman, after she is healed, she comes in fear and trembling. Yeah, and there's, there's one more which is a bit tricky. There's one more after, there are your options. say again after God died but before Jesus does the miracle so I'm calling that before yeah the storm we said they're afraid before but they're also scared afterwards exactly so the pigs yeah so they're, they're, I think that's our data so with the storm they're afraid before Jesus calms it and then they're more scared after Jesus comes it. Which is, that's quite interesting, isn't it? So if, you, if I were to ask you, okay, multiple choice, which is more scary? One, being about to die in a boat that is sinking. Or two, being on a pleasant boat trip on a sunny day where everything's fine. <laughs> like you'd think it was A. No, wrong. It's more frightening when they're not going to die. Why? Why are they more scared in verse forty-one than they were in verse forty? They realised the Jesus. Jesus' power. Like, in a, um, a, we just thought it was out of control weather, Jesus, and now we've seen that you, our friend, can just go, shot, stop, stops. Whoa, who is this? What are they afraid of before? Afraid of dying. Fear of death or faith. What are they afraid of afterwards? Of Jesus. They're afraid of Jesus. Um, Jairus is afraid of death or faith. Do not be afraid of your daughter's death only believe, but the woman is afraid of what? She's got to come to Jesus. She has been healed. Again, which is most frightening? Bleeding for 12 years and doctors can't help you or being totally healthy? You think, well, surely, so this should be the least frightening point in her life. It's actually the most frightening point. Because she's got to come to the unimaginably powerful one. Who just by touching his clothes says Hilda. And she comes in fear and trembling. Now fear of death is the opposite of faith. But fear of Jesus. Well it is faith. She comes in fear and trembling. And Jesus says daughter your faith has saved you. Your trust in me, your willingness to come before me, your... In fact, fear and trembling in the Bible, it's quite a good thing to come to the Lord in fear and trembling. You can think of it, depending on how well you know your Bible, just the phrase, the pair, you'll recognise. Psalm 2, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. It's a good thing. I mean, that's what you do if you you trust in the King in Psalm 2. And by the way, aside, excellent, excellent book by Mike Reeves called "Fear" and it's called, called "Rejoice and Tremble," and it's from that verse in the psalm. It's really good on the fear of the Lord. Um, Philippians two twelve: work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing, and she she does it. She gets it right. She comes in faith. And so what you see here is it's not just fear is bad, faith is good. It's that fear of death is bad. <laughs> Or at least you don't need to be afraid of death. Fear of Jesus is good. (coughs) Um, Put this all together. And by the way, sorry, a little extra thing. I think, um, don't worry if this gets too complicated, but I think Mark intends you to compare those because of the way he sandwiches the two stories together. Um, the, The girl's story comes in the middle of the, the woman's story comes in the middle of the girl's story. And then he sort of shows you that they're kind of the same because how old is the girl? 12. How long has the woman been bleeding? 12. What does he call the woman? Daughter. But the girl's the daughter. So he's just, it, they're sort of paired in various ways and you get so awe. And then the storm, they're obviously paired because it's the same, it's the same episode. It's actually very Jonah-like. You would see the links with Jonah. They're in a storm. They're very scared is sleeping during the storm. They pray, Lord, if you're there, we don't know if there is a God, but if there is a God, then, you know, sorry that we're going to have to drown this man, but please let us off. And they throw him overboard. And then suddenly, the storm ends in instantly. They're then very, very scared, much more scared than they were when they were going to die because they realized that the God they prayed to just a minute ago is actually real. It's exactly the same story. And the fear of the storm is a fear of death, and the fear of at the end of Jonah chapter one is a fear of God. Because I think the sailors have realized we are dealing with somebody stronger than death. And what I love about this, and you think what's the outcome of this, is it's a, it's a fear swap. That's what I want to call it. It's like if you just tell someone he's really anxious, stop being anxious, It doesn't actually work. I mean, it really doesn't work, especially if they're anxious because their child is very, very ill. Oh, don't worry, you know, this, is, this is not gonna help. You can't dial down anxiety. And so Jesus' solution is replace your fear. Make Jesus so big and so frightening that he's much more frightening than death. He's much more powerful than death, actually. That all of your worry is not going to be about, will death get me, but what does Jesus think of me? And you go, it's okay, because Jesus is my friend. He's the one that's scariest in the whole universe, and he's my friend. And then that displaces the fear of death. Jesus actually does the same thing, doesn't he, elsewhere in the Bible. Don't fear the one who can kill you, but fear the one who can send you to hell. Paraphrase. Be more afraid of God than you are of being martyred. And here it says, be more afraid of God than you are of the storm. Be more afraid of God than you are of the brain tumor. Be more afraid of God than you are of the devil. Jesus is the scary one in all of these situations. Fear him instead. The fear swap. And then there's this tragic exception, which is the people who see the man with the demons. Again, which is more scary? Multiple choice. A man who lives among you in the graveyard who's so strong with supernatural evil that he can rip apart iron chains. Or a perfectly sane man. (laughs) You'd think think it's the first one. No, no, the second one's scarier. They see the man who had had the demon clothed in his right mind. They were very afraid. And they go, Jesus, please leave us. It's a tragic answer, isn't it? Because they've learned something about Jesus. This isn't ignorance. This is, Jesus, we've realized that you are stronger than evil. And we can't really cope with it. That phrase, better the devil you know, is kind of literally true for them. Uh, Jesus, we prefer the devil because at least we got used to him. But you're bringing a kind of power that we're altogether not comfortable with. Please, would you leave? We've got to start by one, so I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you for this extraordinary moment in history when Jesus versus evil, Jesus versus death, and he wins very easily. And Father, we realise that if we'd been there in these episodes, we, like the woman, like the disciples, would be a little bit uncomfortable, actually, with Jesus. Because he has a terrifying amount of power. But Father, we pray that a fear of Jesus, a Jesus big enough to be frightened of, would be the one that calms our fears of other things. And I do praise you, Lord, for my friends that I've mentioned, for Dan and Bree, for their great trust in you with respect to Isabel. Thank you that ultimately they're not afraid of her future because they knew that on the last day the very fearsome Jesus will say to her, Talitha Kumai and she will arise we praise you for jesus great power and we pray that you'd help us to come to him in fear and trembling for jesus sake amen
0: thank you for joining us for another episode of at the castle we hope that this teaching has helped you to better understand and apply the word of god in your life if you found this episode helpful please share it with your friends and family We pray that the teachings of At The Castle will continue to help you grow in your knowledge of God's Word and personal discipleship. For more information about At The Castle, please visit our website www.atthecastle.org.uk. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.